0: David gets really old and really creepy, Solomon tries to split a baby in half, and then Solomon has a thousand wives and a bunch of babies. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, this is Brandon, we're pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's about First Kings. And, second, well, no, just First Kings today, right? Just First Kings, yeah. yeah. It'll yeah. take a while to get through all the, the kings. I know. Well, before we get into the details, just a reminder to like, subscribe, to the glory of God, right? Mm-hmm. Man, get that gospel out there, get people learning about the Bible, get this message out there. So like, subscribe, follow, comment, all the good stuff, so that um, we can share this good news with uh, anybody that wants to listen.
1: I always love the comments. We had a comment on one of our videos. It was uh, in Exodus. Mm-hmm. Someone did, wasn't a big fan of us criticizing Bob Marley. <laughs> but they were, they liked going to the Bible. They're like, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna keep listening." Yeah, so that's great. We love, we love Bob Marley. Yeah, constructive, criticism. not a Christian, not a Christian. But that's you know, many people aren't. Depends like on who you talk to. Them. You know, well, really, yeah. Well, it's, it's... Uh, anyway, yeah. So so engage. It helps helps us out a lot.
0: Hundred um, percent. Life good. Yeah, of
1: course. You know, I'm a little crippled right now, as you know, but. Have That's you told normal.
0: the viewers that, about your leg?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I had a surgery this last week. Um, we record these you know, ahead of time. So if you go to church, you're wondering why I've had multiple surgeries. I haven't, just, hopefully just the one. <laughs> um, but my, 20, I, my Achilles was torn on uh, Easter week and then went in for surgery two weeks later. And so now I'm on the mend. I've been on a little bit of painkillers, but now I'm, I'm off. I'm just on the, the ibuprofen. Nice. So the Motrin is not doesn't really
0: mess with your head at all. Preaching is great. Uh, when you have a bum leg, you get a stool, and it's kind of awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm doing one legged preaching. Yeah. No? So yeah, standing firm on the word of God, though. So,
0: Amen. That's right. Amen. Okay, let's get into it. But let's recap a little bit. So um, we're coming into First Kings, but um, the stories are connected between First and Second Samuel and uh, Kings. So uh, let's do a quick recap yeah. of uh, Samuel. Yeah, and, and obviously. The
1: history we're looking at goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Obviously, goes goes before that too, but Deuteronomy sets the stage for all this history. And we were we went up to the point of seeing in First and Second Samuel, Saul, the false king, who um, is a king like the nations, who fails because mm-hmm. he's the king that they wanted. That's not a king of God God's own heart. And then we have David, the true king, come on the scene in Second Samuel, and we see God's covenant with him. In 2nd Samuel 7 and that is the key
0: chapter. Remember that chapter, super important.
1: Yes, file that one away. That is one of the most important chapters in scripture where God tells him that he's going to give him an eternal uh, kingdom, that his his lineage, his dynasty will last forever ultimately, Mm -hmm. and that there will be a son of David who will sit on the throne uh, of God. So he's uniting his throne with David's throne. He promises him a name and blessing and land and all of these things that um, that the Bible has been looking for up to this point, point. and so we're going to see those come true through David's kingship. But first, we have to go through a long time of uh, disappointment after disappointment. Right? Really, the kings the kings are all about disappointment.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we have First and Second Samuel, which is actually one book, and, and it's the same with First and Second Kings. Originally, this is just one story, but we have it split up um, for whatever purposes. Yeah. Um, but what's, why is it called kings? Why is it called kings at all, in the first yeah, place? Cause it's, yeah, because it's
1: basically just <clears throat> tracking the lineage of the kings that come from David mm-hmm. and the kings of the northern kingdom, which are not Davidic kings. Right. But what we see in every single king is them falling short. Right. Every single one of the northern kings of, of the northern kingdom of Israel, every one of them will be a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. In the south, there are a few that give us you know, a, a ray of light. Right. And yet they still fall short. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see um, what what God's doing through these kings and how it ultimately leads to Jesus Christ. Now we also the, the book also could be called prophets, right? Because there are so many prophets in this book, and the, the prophets are really for the most part the protagonists of the book. Right? They're kind of the main characters. Pretty exciting, well, yeah. yeah. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. But how God's word controls all of history. Mm-hmm. That's a big theme in First Kings that God is in control that he is shaping things according to his will and through his
0: word yeah through the prophets. Yeah, I mean, it, and you see these themes. I think throughout the whole Old Testament so far, it, it almost seems like it's just rinsing, repeating the same story again and again with different characters over the course of history. I think it just kind of points to God's patience, you know. <laughs> absolutely. So,
1: absolutely, yeah. And so, and it's important to know that this, these books, First and Second Kings, which, as Keith said, they were one book originally. Um, these, were, this book was written to those in exile, hmm. so it was written to those who were already in exile, waiting for redemption. And so you have to see it through that lens. Think of, as you're reading and as we're talking about the story, think of what would the exiles, those who hundreds of years later would have lost the kingdom, lost the temple, um, fallen short and failed and seen God's punishment, what would they have thought of this history? Because it's going to teach us a lot about um, what God's doing
0: here. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, let's look at the structure. What's the structure like at First and Second Kings?
1: Well, yeah, to keep it really simple, we see at the beginning, the first 11 chapters is Solomon's reign. It's all about mm-hmm. Solomon and his wisdom and his power. And then after Solomon, 12 to 16, um, those chapters are about the kingdom being divided. Dang so it. So Rehoboam and Jeroboam, yeah. the kingdom gets split. And then the whole middle of the book from, <clears throat> excuse me, from First Kings 17 to Second Kings 8 is all about kings versus prophets, right? This battle that's happening. And really that continues through the rest of the book. But that's followed by a downward spiral, just kind of like we saw in Judges. Right. And then at the very end of the book, the last few chapters are about the exile mm. of, of, uh, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Yeah, it kind
0: of ends on a drab note. A oh, bit, yeah. Right? It yeah. ends really, really badly.
1: <laughs> so now don't forget, as we're going through the book, well, this is the book of kings. So don't forget the law of the kings. Mm. When we were in Deuteronomy, we pointed this out, how important this will be. And we've mentioned it you know, through uh, Saul and through David as well. The law of the kings, Deuteronomy 17, the three Gs, as my professors <laughs> that Masters would say, which is very helpful, no gold, gals, or giddy-up, right? Gold, gals, giddy-up, meaning don't multiply wealth and don't hoard a lot of wealth and, and seek your security in wealth. Don't multiply lots of wives. Don't have multiple marriages as a king in which you secure alliances through those marriages. Uh, Instead, trust that God is in control. And the last thing would be horses, giddy up, right? Um, Don't multiply lots of horses, lots of chariots, lots of weapons of war. All of those things are going to be the things that every pagan king would depend on for strength and for security. And God is saying to his kings, you can't live after the same pattern as the nations. Yeah. So to, to stay away from those things. Do not accumulate wealth. Don't accumulate wives. Don't accumulate horses. Instead, trust in me.
0: Yeah, and if you know anything about Solomon, the exact opposite. He will go varsity
1: <laughs> in failing those <laughs> commands like no one else. Yeah, those three things. If you don't know Deuteronomy 17, you might go, Solomon seems, you know. Not like, so bad. Yeah, not that
0: bad. I lo- you see, like, as you're reading, like, you see, hear whispers. Like, all of a sudden you see, like, uh, forced slaves, you know, like, just thrown yeah. in there randomly, and you're like, wait, what the heck? Like, uh, is that good? It kind of yeah. sounds like Pharaoh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of uh, like, if you're looking closely, you can see his downfall approaching. But yeah. uh, anyway, let's get into it. Chapters one and two.
1: Yeah, so you, got, you gotta admire at the beginning here how this book starts with creepy old dude, David. He has, he has reached that age that a lot, of old, a lot of guys reach. I don't know why old old yep. dudes sometimes, sometimes can be creepy, but he's old and he's cold. Yeah, which apparently happens when you get old.
0: Yeah, fair enough. We've had, you know we've had some people coming to church and you know they're a little older and they need some heaters next to them or you know yeah bring extra blanket. You know I get
1: get it. Yeah, you get thin skinned, I guess. I, I don't know what it is, but so David is, has a plan in order to keep him warm. He needs a beautiful young virgin.
0: That's the only option to I guess, lie right? with him. That's yeah. the only option.
1: Yeah, they're like we have one of those water bottle things that you
0: heat up. He's like, no, it, I need, and it's like the most beautiful one, right? Yeah, like search all the land for this he's person. Like, <laughs> he, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like,
1: yeah, he's like, we could get you some, you know, nasty old hag. Like, no, <laughs> no, nope, gotta be beautiful, beautiful equals warm. But uh, he, but he didn't know her. He, he did not. Yes, he did not know her. He didn't have any sexual relations with her. But <clears throat> this is weird. This is super <laughs> weird. But it, the, the important thing is that name of, of the the lady who's with him which is Abishag the Shunammite right am i pronouncing that right Yep. the shunammite um, so abishag is is going to come back to into the pl, into play later but it's weird it's a weird start definitely for us especially time. Yep. Um, way to be creepy time david. way yeah. to be creepy don't don't be a creepy old dude when you get old don't be creepy don't be like david <laughs> so what happens is adonijah one of, the fourth son of king david decides he's going to become king so that's not David's wishes, but he's he's kind of the next in line. I mean, so you have at this point, he's the fourth son of David, but two of his older brothers have died, mm-hmm. right? Amnon and Absalom have both died. There's one brother that's older than him still, but he's he, he kind of has some sort of claim to the throne. So he decides to team up with Joab. Yep. Now Joab... As we've seen, Job is a power player. He's a he's a shrewd political creature. Yep. There's, there's some people in politics now. I guess you could compare him to, but he's cutthroat. <laughs> he knows what's up. Um, he's going to get his way, and so he always ends up being in some sort of position of power, and you don't always know why. But so he decides that he knows that, that after all he's pulled right, murdering um, Abner and murdering uh, who's the Amnon, mm-hmm. the other, other king or the other uh, general. After the stuff he's done, he's not on David's good side. This doesn't look good for him as uh, if Solomon comes to the throne. Right. So he aligns himself with Adonijah and tries to pull off essentially a coup.
0: Yeah. Goes well for
1: him. To make to make uh, Adonijah king and they're having this party, but before they the, or as they're doing that, I should, should say Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet go to David. And they receive his wishes from him, which is that, you know, Solomon would be king. And they secretly anoint him king. And then they announce it to the kingdom. And Adonijah hears it, and he realizes he's done
0: for. Yeah, here's hears all the rejoicing. and that. Yeah,
1: so he, he runs. And actually, we see <coughs> in chapter 1, verse 52, Solomon's merciful to him, right? He says, if he will show mm-hmm. himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. Yep. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So... He, he's forgiving to him up to this point. Right. Um, and then we see, you know, in chapter 2, we see David talking to Solomon, giving him advice. Now, this is a really interesting chapter, because at first he gives him sort of the standard speech for someone dying, which is, you know, verses 1 and 4 of chapter 2. Be strong, show yourself a man, mm-hmm. keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. I mean, this is really what everyone has said. Follow God's law. That's right. great. And then in verses 5 and following, okay, show your commitment to that law and your commitment to the security of your throne by punishing a bunch of evildoers mm-hmm. that David didn't punish. Right. Kill, kill a bunch of people <laughs> to establish your throne. So, yeah, so he tells Solomon to punish bad people and reward some people that were good to him. Right. Is, That's that, sort
0: of, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing?
1: yeah, I mean, Joab is one of those people, and then Joab, as we know, he had murdered some people. Joab kind of deserved to die. but it's hard it's hard to tell if it's good advice I mean, it's good political advice, right. It's good, shrewd political advice in terms of gaining power. But the writer sort of puts this out here and doesn't give a clear judgment mm-hmm. as to whether this is right or wrong. and it it kind of brings us into that the the struggle for wisdom in terms of leading a nation. What when do you do hard things, uh, even brutal things? And when do you be merciful and risk your own power? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, right? <clears throat> but we can understand the challenge of leadership. I mean, I tend to say that probably you shouldn't kill people. <laughs> but these are people that are guilty of crimes, yeah. of treason, of murder, of things like that. So, you know, I don't know. I can tend to think everyone thinks a leader's job is easy except for the leader, right? <laughs> we tend to look at this and go and have a judgment on his actions. Right. But we, we're not in his shoes. Yeah. Solomon's gonna need wisdom for leading the people. Right. That's pretty clear,
0: right? For sure.
1: So Solomon consolidates power. Adonijah ends <clears throat> up angering him. He he does this by asking for a mar- for a marriage to Abishag, mm-hmm. the Shunammite, right? Right. His his dad's concubine, um, and th- he sees this. Solomon sees this as an attempted coup. Right. This is like Reuben back in Genesis when he sleeps with his father's concubine. It's a show of power to say you're taking over the family. Right. And so he takes it the same way, and he ends up killing Adonijah because of this. Yep. Because what he sees is a treasonous act. And this is now the fourth son of Saul, of David that has died. Hmm. If we've, we've been counting, right? Amnon, Absalom, the unnamed child that right. dies in, yep. in, in birth, and then now the fourth son. So this completes the cycle that we saw in... Uh, Second Samuel chapter 11, I oh, believe it was, yeah. or 12, where Nathan, you know, he basically David says, Nathan, that guy should repay fourfold. Yep. And then Nathan says, you're the man. So yep. he repays fourfold. So we see that. We also see that there's a fulfillment of God's punishment, to, uh, or his promise to punish Eli's family. Mm-hmm. In verse 27 of chapter 2, the, 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 the writer points this out. The old, the old priestly line of Eli has been cut off and a new one has been established mm. that is going to be righteous, at least for the, the short term. So, so it seems like Solomon's reign is starting well. There's scriptural promises being fulfilled. Yeah, um, he is, you know, shrewd. At least whether he's good or bad in, in that sense is kind of hard to tell at this point. But he is definitely shrewd. Mm-hmm. And then we get into chapters three to eleven. We get into Solomon's actual reign. Mm-hmm. What it looks like with Solomon as king. So the first thing that we see in chapter three is uh, verse one. <coughs> It's a Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So this is a bad this is a bad statement here at the very beginning. Right. First of all you have an alliance with Pharaoh mm-hmm. which God did not want them to make. Right. He didn't want them to be in alliances with these foreign nations that were evil. And of course Egypt was the epitome of evil they were the source of the exodus they were and he's uh, making an alliance through marriage
0: right yeah it's not just like oh we're okay we're not gonna go to war with each other no like literally let's have wives and
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. let's let's interrelate let's let's be kind of you know teamed up here this is bad this is really bad so he's he's going big at the very beginning here and then it goes down we see actually that you know verse three we see how complicated solomon's gonna be right solomon loved the lord walking in the statutes of david his father only he sacrificed and made offerings (laughs) at the high places yeah
0: the high places is obviously significant of idolatry right
1: yeah high places is uh they would worship god at a place that wasn't the temple right so it's oh we're worshiping god but we're we're breaking god's command which is to worship only the temple Mm -hmm. in you know making sacrifices at the high places so it's kind of Taking pagan practices and using that to worship God for sure, and that's dishonoring to God. God's very clear about that. A bit, I don't yeah. want that. I don't <laughs> want that. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see comments like this throughout First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, talking about how these kings measured up um, in regards to David in terms of their love for God, whether they tore down the, the false idols that end up springing up, and whether they tear down the high places. Mm. And so we're going to h- see that comment about high places again and again. So make sure you you realize that. Now, Solomon prays to God at the beginning here and has a conversation with God. And what we see is God actually <clears throat> offers Solomon, ask me anything you want. Mm-hmm. And, and Solomon's response is, is really interesting, right? He talks about the love that God has shown to his father. And he says, uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So he starts off with humility. Mm-hmm. Solomon's probably not a little child at this point. Right, He's probably a full-grown man. But he calls himself a little child, pointing to his humility, his desire that God would give him the strength that he needs because he knows he's he's not good enough for the task. Right, and this is a of people so numerous, so you know, so such a multitude, uh, it's too much of a task for me. And so, in verse nine, he asks for wisdom. Right, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Hmm. So he gets it. He says, I need wisdom, understanding. Uh, knowledge in right. order to govern these people yeah. well.
0: And it pleased God, right?
1: Yeah, and God I mean, God's very pleased <laughs> by that. And and this is a very famous part of, of Solomon, right? But God responds by essentially saying, You could have asked for anything you wanted. Right. You could have made any request to me and I would have granted it. You could have asked for riches or honor, or any of those things. And since you didn't ask for that, but you asked for something good, which was wisdom to care for and shepherd my people i 'm going to bless you with all the rest as well right i 'm going to give you incredible prosperity and honor throughout the nations, and so that 's what God does so mm. Solomon we see in these first few chapters Solomon is this uh paragon of wisdom, unlike anyone who's came be- come before him or come since right so it's important that we learn from the story of Solomon if he's that wise right We see in chapter four God talks about how he writes. Uh, poems, right, and and Proverbs. Mm-hmm. He becomes the father of wisdom literature in Israel. Yeah. And so we see this in terms of the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, which was probably written by him, Song of Solomon, also probably written by him, and most of the Proverbs. So Solomon is incredibly wise. And he shows that through this story that's probably one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. Right. Which is the splitting of the baby. Right. That that saying, right? Split the baby. So this is it's a really interesting story that's, that stands out. So what happens in this story is very simply there's two prostitutes. One smashes her baby at night, probably drunk, I would assume. It yeah. doesn't just happen. But they're laying with her babies. She smashes her baby or, or suffocates it, and her baby's dead. And so she switches babies, newborn mm-hmm. babies, with the, with the lady next to her right. who's also a prostitute. And so the lady whose baby it w- really was, um, is saying hey that lady has my baby i want it back and right. solomon has to discern right now like why is this story so famous like, what is it about this story that is so famous it, it really what this what this shows us is, is the power of a good judge because solomon has to look at a situation in which he has no evidence one way or the other yeah it's it's completely hearsay he has no idea who is right or who is wrong based upon any evidence, all he can do is try to discern from the the heart of these two women who is the true mother. Hmm. And so what he does is he set calls to a guard to pull out a sword yeah, and to cut half. the baby in half and to give one to one, one to the other, right? Hmm. Uh, which obviously would not help anybody. <laughs> um, but the, the, the fake mom, the lying mom, says great do it right because she's just spiteful she's right. just bitter and the true mom says no let the baby be given to her right i'd rather my kid live than than die needlessly and so solomon recognizes the heart of the mother and the heart of envy and bitterness and mm-hmm. the other and he gives the, the mom the baby back right? right and so i mean it's incredible it's incredibly shrewd and insightful into human nature but it shows us how important it is reminds us of how important it is for us to have a judge who can judge rightly right if you can't if you can't determine who's guilty and who's innocent then your society is going to be messed up right uh, it's very important that justice be administered fairly and accurately yeah
0: and and very important that we look to God for the ultimate idea of justice his definition of it and his ultimate judgment yeah know, exactly Awesome. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, we see um, Solomon's officials.
1: We see some of his power and his influence, as I mentioned. And really, I mean, verse 20 is really interesting. So it says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So what we see here is those themes going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. We see land and blessing, right. right We see his the extent of his rule going over a wide swath. and really it's this is the first time and the last time that Israel will rule the entire boundaries of the promised land. right So he conquers the whole land and even beyond to where he has influence and people serve him. Hmm. So we're seeing that promise fulfilled. We're seeing the promise of of you know children, Right, that they were many, that they're multiplying, being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. That there was blessing. This seems like a return to Eden, mm-hmm. that God's people are finally fulfilling their purpose, and they have a king who can lead them. Right. I mean, this just seems to be so good. <laughs> this is the golden age of of Israel by mm-hmm. far, um, and so so we see all of that. But there are problems here. So remember the gold gals and giddy up. Yep. Right. Don't multiply those things, and we've seen that he has a problem with women. We'll see that again later. But in verse 26, we see Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots <coughs> and 12,000 horsemen. So, that's a lot. That's a lot of horses. That's a lot of military might, and it's a clear um it's a clear disobedience to God's command to not multiply those things. Right. So Solomon is we're seeing <coughs> Throughout this, uh, even the glory and the splendor of Solomon, we're seeing seeds of sin that will grow into his downfall later on. Right. So, and then we see we see in chapters five through eight, we see Solomon building the temple. Now, this is the, the central act of Solomon as king. Right. Him building the temple. This is what David prepared him for. This is what David couldn't do. So Solomon's going to do this. Now, we're not going to focus as much on <clears throat> on this aspect of the story here because we're looking at it more in Second Chronicles. Right because we'll see a lot of repeat of the same stories. But, um, but it's, it's interesting to see in chapter 6, verse 1, this statement made. It says, In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, mm-hmm. in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, why would the author hark back all the way to the Exodus?
0: Yeah. Say so it's the four hundred
1: eighty years since that Exodus. Yeah,
0: Tabernacle. Huh?
1: Yeah, well, it, well, what it is is it's that that the Exodus isn't actually over until God's people have settled in the land, I see, yeah. and God's no longer in the tent, yeah. and there's a permanent dwelling place for Him. So this is a marker of the Exodus is finally over right for God's people that mm. there actually is a uh, rest, there's stabilities, all these things, and so. So, um, that's a very important verse. that actually is a big verse for dating different things for not for like finding a girlfriend, but for <laughs> for <laughs> placing a date a time on right. these different events. Yeah, and this is a, such a key verse. So yeah. they begin to build this, and Solomon is very explicit in his design to make sure that this is a picture of the Garden of Eden, yeah, right, just like the tabernacle was. And right. really, he's even more explicit. He goes into a lot of detail. Oh yeah. to depict the glories of Eden. Yeah. And you can if you if you missed those talks about the uh, the tabernacle, you can go back and watch. I think it was the last uh podcast on Exodus mm-hmm. where we did the most digging into the the tabernacle but right. probably a
0: little bit in Leviticus as well. Yeah, exactly, the symbols behind all the elements and you know. Yeah.
1: But again, we'll we'll get we'll get to that more later. But in chapter 8, Solomon brings the ark into the temple and this is the the symbol of God's presence and of um, of his law and his word and all those things coming into the holy of holies in the temple mm-hmm. and now god's presence is going to fill the temple and and look at verses uh, 9 and 11 chapter 8 verses 9 and 11 it says there there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that moses had put there at horeb where the lord made a covenant with the people of israel when they came out of the land of egypt and when the priests came into the holy place a cloud filled the house of the lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of God of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So they're overwhelmed with God's presence. But we see here the covenant, um, the ark of the covenant is a symbol of the covenant God made with His people, and God's word inside the ark of the covenant, and then God's presence coming with His word and His covenant. Yeah. So we see those those ideas are tied mm-hmm. that God's covenant and His word are what bring His presence. Mm. So this is important because again, if they break God's word. Right. If they break the covenant, then God is going to abandon them, right. which will happen in Ezekiel. It'll happen in lots of places, though. Yeah. So Solomon prays to the Lord, and he prays this amazing blessing to God and a dedication to the temple. And the, this dedication tells us a lot about what the temple is, Yeah. Uh, the theology of the temple. So we see verse 27, he says, "...will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven..." cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built.
0: Yeah, I love this part, man. I just like it. Yeah, for as you know, broken as Solomon is, and we find out more, it's really cool to see him understand God in such an in- intimate way, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of wisdom. He knows that there, there shouldn't be any mistake here. God can't be contained in the temple. Mm-hmm, yeah. Just like the tabernacle. God, that's not what this is about. It's not about controlling God or containing God. <clears throat> and he goes into the, the purpose of the temple in verses 29 to 30. And he basically says that whenever you pray to this location, hear them from heaven. Mm-hmm. So kind of the, the temple is like a beacon or a connecting point between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. Or, or I've heard it mentioned like it's like a cell tower, right? Mm-hmm. Like you call to the temple and the temple goes to God. This is the way they connect with God mm-hmm. is through this temple. Right. And that's so important because, again, if you're reading this and you are in exile, the temple is destroyed, then you're thinking, wait, how? so that's a problem for us. Right? How do we connect with God? How are we going to pray to God if the temple is gone, if sacrifices are not being offered? Right. So he goes on in verse 41, he even mentions foreigners. Foreigners, when they pray, right, that God will hear them because of the temple. Hmm. And then he goes on to talk about, Exile, right? In verse 46, right, he says, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and, and plead with you in the land of their captors, right? he says essentially if they pray toward this location mm-hmm. where the temple used to be, hear them.
0: It's really interesting because, you, like earlier, you were saying, you know, this was obviously written to a people that were in exile that could look at this as instruction that, like, God would give them grace, right? Absolutely. That's pretty yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. So, imagine if you're an exile, you're going, wait, Solomon already knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> just like Moses, just like Joshua, yeah. just like we've seen so many times. And he was praying for us mm. and, sa- and talking about how God was going to bring us back here. Right. That's that's the whole, this his whole speech. And then, and then he ends up, ends up by thanking God, by praising God, by by talking about God's presence and the importance of turning your heart to God mm-hmm. and the glory of God's name. I mean, just, it's an amazing, rich um, speech, really. It's a prayer, but it's really a speech that, that tells us a lot about the purpose of the temple right. and what God is doing here and God's plan through all of this to bring them back. Right. And then he ends by throwing the greatest rager in <laughs> history. It's... <laughs> Many
0: sacrifices. Yeah,
1: I mean, to, tens of thousands of oxen, 120,000 sheep. Yeah, this is a lot of food that they're consuming over the course of a week. Lots right. of meat. That's crazy. So, God, Yeah, again, God likes grilling meat. He likes having feasts with mm, meat in smoked them. Smoked meat. Like so, so, yeah, so that's the ch- chapter 8. Very cool. So let's get into chapter, chapter 9. So we see... Um, so so this is kind of the high point. Chapter 8 was kind of the high point for Solomon building the temple, yep. dedicating it, and now God gives him a warning mm-hmm. in chapter 9. And he says, verse 4, As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, verse 5, he says, Then I will establish your well throne over Israel forever. Mm-hmm. Verse 6, But if you turn aside from following me, then essentially I'm going to Cut you off, right? He says.
0: Yeah, we've heard uh, this again and again, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Verse seven. I will cut you off. He says. I will cast you out of my sight, and <laughs> Israel become a proverb and a byword among all the people. So, cutting off means you're out of God's people. Right. Cast off means that it's like a divorce. God is divorcing His people, and a byword is like uh, you've lost all honor. Mm-hmm. You're an example of what of life gone wrong, and so He's saying that there's th- this. It matters that you actually follow Me.
0: Yeah, it's dependent on obedience, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, the entire covenant depends upon obedience, and so God is warning them and telling them. And if they disobey, verse 8 says, the temple will be destroyed. Bummer. Right, This house will become a heap of ruins. So Mm -hmm. be warned. And again, if you're in exile reading this, you're thinking, oh, that's why this happened. Mm -hmm. This is not purposeless. This is not God being out of control. God did this intentionally because we disobeyed him. Right. Even Solomon disobeyed him. So chapter 10, we see um, the Queen of Sheba visiting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to get into it too much, but she she pays tribute to Solomon. Mm-hmm. She acknowledges that he is the greater one and that she is his servant. So she pays him a lavish sum of money and uh, tribute in a lot of different ways. It's
0: crazy. I mean, it's just like it echoes the greatness of Solomon at this time, right? So, like, she heard about him and, like, had to come see him. Yeah. He's uh-huh. he's
1: world famous, and <clears throat> she's coming to hear his wisdom. Right. And, and to praise his God, right? Verse 9 and chapter 10, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you over the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. So she's acknowledging God's work in establishing David's kingly line mm-hmm. through Solomon. Yeah. And the nations are coming to honor the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. Again, this is that purpose that Israel had to be a nation of, of priests, to seek God, to lift him up so others would come and worship him. Brian. And that like that seems to be being fulfilled yep. in this story. So uh, verse 21 of chapter 10, we see the incredible wealth. Verse 21, it says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. Why not? You got a lot of gold. Why not? Just make everything of gold. Gold shields, gold cups, gold everything. <laughs> and he says, none were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. What's silver at right now? It's like $25 an ounce, something like that. Something like that. Somewhere around there. Start away. Uh, yeah, I mean, just nothing. Right And in verse 27, it says, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, <laughs> and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shvelah. So it, uh, if you haven't been to Israel, there are a lot of rocks there, mm-hmm. a lot of <laughs> stones in Israel. And he's saying, it's hyperbolic, obviously, but he's saying, Silver was nothing. Silver was so common. Right. Now, again, imagine if you are the exiles living in poverty, living in slavery, Mm. living in a foreign land, and you're hearing about the kind of wealth they used to have, your forefathers had in Israel. Right. I mean, incredible statement. Incredible statement about God's blessing to his people when he wants to bless them.
0: And it it shows that they are fruit of sin, right? Yeah. if you turn from god if you sin you're gonna not just have no money you're gonna have nothing ultimately yeah so
1: yeah it's i mean spiritual bankruptcy uh and ultimately physical bankruptcy as well right that there's there's no prosperity ultimately speaking apart from god right so it's absolute foolishness to disobey him
0: and so we have this awesome climax of the power of god's people and solomon and then we have chapter 11.
1: yeah and everything everything goes wrong here right and it's amazing because this, uh, I mean, this if you're reading it without Deuteronomy 17 in mind, mm-hmm. this is shocking. Yeah. I mean.
0: That, that's the, the job of the kings, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so Solomon has written huge portions of scripture. Mm-hmm. He's built the, t- the temple, the, the pinnacle of worship of God in Israel. Oh. Um, he He knows so many things
0: yeah he's filled with god's wisdom, yeah. yeah yeah, and
1: yet he disobeys, so how can this happen but the the, the fact of the matter is this really isn't a surprise, right mm-hmm. not for us because we've been we've been seeing these themes pop up right right gold, gals, and Gideon, mm-hmm. uh the multiplication of all these things that cause him to not depend on on God so we see we see in this chapter that's his downfall uh we see especially women right verse one of chapter 11 now king solomon loved many foreign women mm-hmm. and it lists these women that he loves and this is going to be his his downfall right and says for he had, so verse three he had 700 wives <laughs> and 300 concubines so lot, concubines are like sort of work. Yeah. yeah concubines are sort of second class wives but in, a, in mm-hmm. our way of thinking he had a thousand mm-hmm. wives essentially yeah. speaking and verse four it says for when solomon was old his wives turned away his heart mm. after other gods. Yeah. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the,
0: the the heart of David his father. Yeah, he even built high places, right?
1: Yeah, so it, it lists the gods he went after. He's building temples to them. It's, it, it's absolutely tragic mm. that Solomon is doing this. And yet, again, not a surprise, because the wisest person to ever live... Um, if, if that person thinks that they can disobey God hmm. in their basic job function right. and yet not pay the price for it, they're an absolute fool. Right. I mean, you read Deuteronomy 17, The Law of the Kings, and you say it's a pretty basic job description. Right. I mean, it's a, it's like a couple paragraphs. Right. It's not long, and it lists just a <clears throat> few key points, and yet Solomon doesn't keep his heart faithful to God and dependent on God. Hmm. He depends on his own strength and his own wisdom instead. Right. And so that's his downfall, very simply. It's, I mean, it's similar to the downfall of David. Right. Who went after Bathsheba, a little bit different, but the same problem. Yeah. The same downfall. And so God raises up adversaries against him. Hmm. That's what we see at the end here. God raises up, this is verse 9, it says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, Hmm. and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So God tells him, I'm going to split the kingdom in two after you die. Right. There's going to be a split here. And this is very important to understand because the rest of the book is going to be very confusing if you don't understand that there are now two kingdoms. Yeah, northern and southern, right? Yeah. So the northern kingdom, as we'll see, is, well, we actually see this with Jeroboam. So Jeroboam is sort of the ultimate adversary for Solomon And God tells him he's going to give him the northern portion of Israel. Mm -hmm. So in verse 34 of chapter 11, he says, he says, you know, I'm going to give you this land, but nevertheless I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, meaning Rehoboam, Solomon's son, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant whom Hmm. whom I chose. And he says, verse 35, I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you ten tribes, yet to his son I will give one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Mm. So 10 tribes to <clears throat> Jeroboam um, to be king of. They'll be they'll be in the northern kingdom or Israel, and then one, one tribe for the south, which will be the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. And so that will be known as, as the nation of Judah from here on out. Yeah. Now, I know 10 plus 1 does not equal 12. <laughs> so maybe you're thinking that, well, the Levites didn't have any land. Right. They didn't have any cities, so their their inheritance was Preceptive. the temple yeah. and taking care of it. So, so that's why it's it's ten and one. But uh, but yeah, we see his downfall, and it's going to have an impact for hundreds of years. Yeah. Solomon's failure here, yeah. so very very tragic. I mean, he, he had so much promise, more than really anyone else yeah. up to this point in the Bible, and yet he still falls short.
0: Yeah. It's crazy, and it, I mean, even just on a cultural note, it shows that like no matter how much wealth or power or even wisdom you accumulate, um, it doesn't fix the problem of the sinful man's heart, right? Exactly. So. Yeah,
1: and he, I mean, he even kind of says it himself in that prayer, right? Yeah. There's not a person who doesn't sin, so he <laughs> understands his own uh, possibility of failure, and yet he doesn't. He doesn't pass the test.
0: Yeah. Amen. Cool. Well, uh, how does the gospel connect with this? How is the good news of Jesus Christ found here? In the book of first Kings
1: yeah well, I mean obviously we've been talking a lot about the, the idea of kings and the failure of the Kings but we'll <laughs> see that a lot more later so we can leave that for now I, I think it's actually interesting to think about the visit of the Queen of Sheba interesting as a as a pointer to Christ interesting um, we actually so we see in
0: Psalm 72 we're we talking like Magi or something like that
1: exactly yeah, yeah. Um, Psalm 72 verse 10 says "May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands uh, render him tribute may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts may all kings fall be- down before him mm. All nations serve him and this is actually written by King Solomon the psalm was written by King Solomon mm. So he seems to be referencing his own um, Tribute from Sheba right. and the fact that there's gonna be messianic king who will receive greater tribute mm. and we see that uh, a hint of that in the visit of the magi Interesting. They came to yeah. worship Jesus that the nations are coming to see the king mm. who will be king of the entire earth. Awesome. That's yeah. his ultimate dominion. And and also, I mean, this is also referenced on a different note. It's also referenced in Matthew chapter 12, the arrival of the Queen of Sheba is mentioned in Matthew 12, when Jesus is speaking to the unbelieving Jews. And he says, well, let me just find it here. Matthew 12, 42, he says, The queen of the south meaning the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear <laughs> the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Right. So she traveled probably 1,500 miles to see Solomon, mm. to hear his wisdom, and yet Jesus is saying, you won't even listen to me, and I'm right in front of you, right. and I'm greater than Solomon. Right. And so that is an indictment on them that... Uh, the Queen of Sheba got it better than they did, right. and that's a pointer too that the Gentiles are going to get it better than the Israelites did.
0: Yeah, humiliating for them, but also like you know, revealing God's gracious you know love for you know people of all different groups and places. Right? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Them. And then the <clears throat> second thing I would see, and the last thing I would say is that the the picture of Judge in these in these uh, chapters. No. Yeah. And the fact that Christ is the ultimate judge, that this is kind of underrated in terms of Christ's roles, his offices that he fills, but Christ is the ultimate judge. He's the one who comes to fix what is wrong on the earth. I mean, Revelation 19, 11, yep. right? I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Yep. Christ comes to judge. Or uh, Paul's sermon on, on Mars Hill, he, he, he ends by saying he, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him mm-hmm. from the dead. Yeah. And, and I noticed this in Acts. So much of their gospel presentation includes the fact that Christ will come to judge. Right. To set everything right in the world. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so yeah, so this is, this is a big part of, of the gospel presentation as
0: well. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's just a good point. Um, you, you know, I think if you ask, like, the, just the general Christian in the United States, you know, a part of the gospel, it's usually about God's love, you know, obviously, essentially his resurrection. But oftentimes, you know, part of the good news of Jesus, the judgment of God is never really talked about at all. Yeah. It's not really viewed as a good thing, I think, most of the time, the judgment of God. Yeah. I mean, judging is bad. But
1: Because we always think of it in terms
0: of, like,
1: us or in terms of being harsh, and we forget that... The entire world around us is looking for justice. Yeah, is looking for for some way to fix things that are wrong in the world, and they're completely unable to do that, right? Because they can't see to the heart and determine what is true, what is true or false, mm. who's right or wrong, right. and they don't have the power mm. to fix what is right, or you know, to make it right or wrong. Right. So yeah, so Jesus is the one who can do that, right? Mm. John five thirty, Jesus says, "As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just." Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is looking and saying, I am in tune with God's will. I I know all things fully, and therefore I can fully judge and set things right in this world.
0: So we need that. We need that desperately. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's all we got time for. Anything else? No. Awesome. Sweet. Well. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We're going to continue in 1 Kings. We're going to do the rest of that book and I think a little into 2 Kings next week. So we'll see you then. Thanks for joining us. We hope it's equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ.